welcome to a healthy dose of Dialogue Podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, a senior executive overseeing consumer and commercial markets at Blue Shield of California. This podcast invites healthcare leaders to share fresh perspectives and engage in healthy dialogue about transformative marketplace trends and industry insights. Together, we're shaping a better future for people and healthcare. In this episode, we're talking trends in employer healthcare benefits and important opportunities with Elizabeth Mitchell. Elizabeth is president and CEO of Pacific Business Group on Health an organization where large public and private purchasers of healthcare come together to make real change on behalf of employees and their families. As CEO, Elizabeth leads the organization in mobilizing purchasers, elevating the role and impact of primary care, and creating functional healthcare markets to support high quality, affordable care. Thanks for joining me, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. So it's so great to have you here, and I cannot wait to pick your brain. Uh, so we'll be talking today about trends in employer healthcare benefits, needs and opportunities that you see as important and growing. Um, I guess to start out, uh, Elizabeth, you know, one of the areas that you and the Pacific Business Group on Health focus on is elevating the role of primary care. Uh, how much, in your opinion, progress are we making in the area of primary care? Not enough. <clears throat> and I would say that um, with the pandemic, we are at imminent risk of losing the primary care base that we did have. And as purchasers of healthcare, uh, my members know that a strong primary care foundation is essential to a high value healthcare system. So they are very concerned about the trends. We know that fee-for-service um, really puts them at risk. If they're not seeing patients, they're not getting paid, and it, they don't have the flexibility to meet the overall population health needs and whole person health needs of patients. And remember, you know, patients are the employees. So employers and physicians want the same thing. We've just got to create a partnership where, where we can be sure that we help people stay healthy. So they are actively involved right now in trying to protect and strengthen primary care so that we come out of this pandemic with at least as strong a healthcare system as we went in with, and hopefully much stronger. Yeah, thank you. And from your perspective, is this work um, around primary care that is just really beginning, even though we, I know we've been talking about this um, for some time, or are there any success stories or opportunities that you would point to or share? You know, one of my struggles is that we've been talking about this stuff for decades. I personally have been in these conversations for decades, but the good news is that we do have examples of what works. I led a multi-stakeholder, multi-payer primary care payment reform pilot 15 years ago, and we were able to really strengthen the participating practices much more recently. And in California, the California Quality Collaborative, which is housed at PBGH, 
um, work directly with practices. And over five years, using a federal grant, they were able to strengthen even small and rural practices to meet sort of whole person health needs and avoided over 60,000 emergency department visits, over 50,000 hospital admissions, and reduced total cost of care dramatically. So we know that it works. We also know we need to pay primary care differently and support them so that they can do what we know they're capable of. That's really, really great. And um, that, that is a great success story. Um, and, you know, kind of you, you touched on this a little bit, but, you know, what has been when we look at COVID-19 and the pandemic uh, and what's happened, it's really shined a spotlight on what's, you know, what our healthcare system is and is not. Um, you know, related to primary care or overall, in your opinion, you know, what what have you seen that either um, is new or that is surprising or that um, maybe points to opportunity based on just the COVID-19 pandemic? Sure. I mean, I really see the pandemic as exposing and shining a bright light on the pre-existing conditions of our healthcare system, fee-for-service payment being chief among them. The other threat that we are seeing is if these primary care practices do go under or if they are vulnerable, they're going to get bought up by large health systems or private equity groups just leading to further consolidation. That's a real challenge for purchasers because we know from all the evidence that prices go up, but quality does not, and patient experience tends to go down. So we are very concerned about the consolidation trends that were certainly present before COVID, but we think could be accelerated. Again, transparency is another thing that we you know, have been working towards for years. Um, we still haven't seen it, and I think to really know where to best support the system, we've got to keep pushing for more transparency, particularly around cost and pricing. That's, that's great. And you're, you're leading a, a group that, uh, you know, is in frequent contact with purchasers of healthcare, large employers. What, from your perspective, what are some key ways that the purchasers themselves are focused on lowering costs and increasing quality of healthcare for their employees? Yeah, I have the real privilege of working directly with some of the largest purchasers of healthcare in the world. Um, our members are jumbo employers. They spend over $100 billion a year on healthcare. <laughs> so they are really vested in creating a high value system. What I have seen is in the last year or so, there is a readiness to intervene directly in the market that hasn't always been there. There has been a sort of yeah, a move from relying on intermediaries to do it to really taking it on themselves. I think that's healthy. I think it's also a reflection of some of the urgency they're feeling. Remember, we are at the end of an 11-year bull market, and these employers are facing enormous economic pressures right now. I mean, you see some of them furloughing, you know, over half their employees. So they're going to be looking for value like they have, you know, maybe have not before. It's not that they haven't cared about it, but now it is really front and center. One of the thing that, things that I find sort of most encouraging is even under this economic pressure, 
they continue to prioritize quality. Our members are convinced, and I think we have the proof of concept to prove it, that if they focus on quality, lower total cost will follow. And we believe we have proven in a lot of our work that better care does cost less. So this is about how do we make sure employees get the best care and um, total cost should actually be improved as a result of that. Excellent. You've, uh, you are a huge advocate in your career and uh, your leadership now at the Pacific Business Group on Health for the transformation of care delivery. What exciting opportunities are ahead or are needed from your perspective to make real transformation of care delivery happen at scale? What a great question. Um, I, and that's exactly what we have to do now. We've had you know, decades of pilots, experimentation from CMMI, from health plans, from provider groups. It's time to really take what works and scale it. It's just past time for, you know, <laughs> studying. So we believe that there is enough evidence out there that it's time to take a to make a few big bets. One of the big bets that our employers are focused on uh, is on centers of excellence and directly contracting for the highest value care. We have run a centers of excellence program for over seven years. We know how to do it. We know what works and we need to scale that. Hopefully that will drive improvement across the system. So we have more centers of excellence, not fewer, but we have got to change the standards by which care is procured. And so our members are working with our team who are measurement experts to say, this is how we define excellence and we will partner with whatever providers can meet those standards. I think that is a trend that is going to go to scale very quickly. I would agree. That's that's a great, great perspective and a great point. Uh, you've also had the opportunity to lead organizations, Elizabeth, in healthcare in different geographies in the U.S. And, you know, you hear the term quite a bit. They say healthcare is local. First of all, you know, would you agree that healthcare is local? And secondly, are there significant differences between a Maine um, and a California, both markets I know you've worked in significantly related to improving and transforming healthcare. Yeah, I think that's a really important question. And, you know, I also led a national organization of regional multi-stakeholder coalitions. So I'm very attuned to, you know, what can happen in Oklahoma versus New Orleans and got to really see, you know, up close what works in those different markets. We need to have alignment across payers around how we might pay for things. But then the implementation and engagement has to be local. It can't just be top down. Here's what we're doing. So one of the great things about our work, um, both in California through the California Quality Collaborative and when I did this in Maine, is you can really engage providers directly. They are not happy in this system. There is a readiness for change if you can engage them and then support the work. Frankly, the biggest barriers that the 
provider space is the payment system. So we've got to go to the purchasers and say, hey, we know you want the same things, but you've got to also change how you're paying for care if you want to see those results. So bringing those different groups together to understand their role in solving the problem uh, is really the way forward. And you've got to have some national consistency and then local support. Elizabeth, what when you when you think about what what keeps you up at night um, related to healthcare, your role at um, Pacific Business Group on Health, uh, you know what are those key things that you're just uh, you know most focused on or concerned about? I just have to say, I think um, a lot of actors in the healthcare system have truly just lost the plot. I feel like they have forgotten that they are there to serve patients and serve communities. We are failing communities, particularly poor, rural communities, communities of color. The inequity in care and access is just unacceptable. And, you know, you see these headlines of these health systems sitting on multi-billion dollar investment funds. That money should be going towards improving the health of Americans. And I guess I just wonder, you know, what are their boards thinking? What do they think that their job is? That keeps me up at night. And to the extent that we need to engage policymakers and we need to engage employers and we need to reach out to those board leaders and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, we have way too much suffering and it is only going to be worse post COVID. And we need to make sure we are meeting the needs of communities because that's what we're here to do. That is powerful, Elizabeth. And I, and I agree a thousand percent on that and that dialogue and, um, you know, really going on offense, I would say in terms of initiating that dialogue is so important. So I, I agree with you. Um, I'm just going to pile on there, but right now, a lot of people are comfortable with the status quo because they're making a boatload of money <laughs> on the status quo. And it's going to take a lot to challenge some of those big players. And, you know, the empire strikes back, you know, when they are pushed. <laughs> so it is going to take some fortitude to really push these changes through. I agree. Um if you had to put a timeline on things, Elizabeth, both for, you know, in terms of, uh, do you think we're at that tipping point today? Um, you know, has COVID accelerated that? Or do you think it's some period that, hey, if the healthcare system doesn't get to what you're talking about um, and really transform, what, you know, how many, you know, months or years are we talking about from your perspective where this really just has to change or just kind of um, falls apart? You know, I, I think this is a defining moment for us collectively. When you see surveys, like I've seen that over 30% of independent primary care practices in the country could close in six weeks, we don't have the luxury of time. And frankly, we have had time. We haven't, we haven't done what needed to be done. So I, I think it is um, imminent. I think if we don't make meaningful changes in the next 12 months, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but if we don't make imminent changes in the next 12 months, we will not have the primary care foundation that we need. And we haven't even touched on mental health. We have completely failed to create a functional mental health system. 
those needs are only going to be exacerbated. And when you start seeing some of the protests, you know, it's because we are failing. We are failing communities. We're treating mental health patients in jails. We have got to get, get our act together because I, I just think there will be only further unrest. And, you know, one option is Medicare for all. That's one of the reactions that you're seeing on the policy front. I think that is really more of just a statement about how unhappy people are with the current system. So I think it is up to us in the very near term to come up with a way forward. Yes, I agree. Um, that's really great. Um, on a on a more sort of personal note for you, has there been uh, a silver lining for you related to COVID-19 and these unprecedented times that we're experiencing? You know, one of the things I always observe, you know, Americans are so entrepreneurial and so um, resilient. And I mean, just a small example of that is telehealth. You know, we have just seen an explosion in use of telehealth in the last six weeks. And, you know, we talked to small practices through California Quality Collaborative, and they said like they had a 96-year-old using FaceTime because she was used to using it with her grandkids, and she thought it was awesome. So we have just leapfrogged what we thought was a sort of entrenched barrier so I do think there is a readiness to make changes. We've all just got to sort of, you know, <laughs> hold hands and say, this is the right thing to do for patients. And I think there, I think we are, we have the resources, we have the leadership, we have the technology and the skill. I think there is a big opportunity to do something meaningful. That's, that's great. Uh, and Elizabeth, this has been really uh, great. I, I wanted to, you know, kind of, you know, end with a final question for you. If there's anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners on anything that we've talked about. It's, well, I really appreciate the question. You know, I just would ask leaders to work together, uh, to assume good intent, to recognize that we all, you know, most of us are working for the same thing. We need to understand the barriers that we each face and really put aside some of our differences, some of the historical tensions from, you know, tense negotiations, and just say, we need to work differently together. And the time is now because the, the need and the opportunity is too great to do otherwise. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Mitchell. Um, you know, and, and thank you to the listeners. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you walked away with uh, the passion around transformation of healthcare uh, and the items that we need to uh, put in place to really change what healthcare is today and make it much more affordable, much more high quality. Elizabeth, that was an amazing dialogue. Thank you. For more information on Pacific Business Group on Health, check out their website. It's www pbgh.org. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives and conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Dose of Dialogue Podcast. <laughs>